Do you want to invest in lifestyle investor deals, save more on taxes, find like-minded and highly successful people to spend time with and to learn from? Apply to join the world's most exclusive mastermind that turns everyday people into savvy investors. You'll get access to private deals that are not available to the public. These deals have been sourced by me personally and de-risked through preferred investment terms, giving you an unfair advantage that most people just don't get. To learn more and apply, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. In times of adversity and economic downturn, we need to learn how to position our energy, time, and resources to prepare ourselves and our families for worst-case scenarios. If we play our cards right, not only will we survive crisis scenarios, we'll bounce back much stronger than before. That's what today's guest, MC Lobsher, has learned during his journey of escaping the rat race to building a passive income portfolio through cash flow investing. He came to the U.S. from South Africa dreaming of being a professional athlete. What he found was a perfect opportunity to showcase his entrepreneurial talents. After starting in maintenance, he quickly learned the ins and outs of wealth management and all the moving parts of real estate. Today, MC empowers people to generate their own income and manage and grow and protect their own wealth in any economy. MC is the creator and host of the top-rated business and investing podcast, Cashflow Ninja, downloaded millions of times in over 180 countries and featured as one of the top 48 podcasts for entrepreneurs by Entrepreneur Magazine. In today's episode, we go over his strategies for building wealth, the importance of investing in yourself and your relationships, and how to position your business to capitalize on economic downturns. One more thing before we get to today's interview. MC has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. He's giving you free access to his Wealth Book Bundle, which includes six of the most powerful books ever written on money and investing. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 96. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with MC Lobsher. All right. What's up, MC? So glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. Well, I feel like this is the one-two punch. Uh, you so kindly had me on your show, and I felt like there were hours more that we could spend together. And so selfishly, I'm excited to have you on the show. I know that my audience is going to love it and is going to get a ton out of it. But selfishly, I'm, I'm just excited to dig in more. There, there's so much that we're in alignment on the way that we look at the world, the way that we invest, the strategy we use, this whole idea of cash flow and uh, utilizing insurance similar to like infinite banking, just so many things. So welcome. No, and I'm, I'm excited. I love the brand Lifestyle Investor. It's all about building an amazing life. So uh, yeah, we definitely had alignment right away and appreciate, uh, appreciate spending some time with you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So to really kind of continue on, I feel like you were able to, you know, gather so much about where I started and and kind of how I created the lifestyle investor brand and and really the purpose and the vision and how it scaled so quickly. 
but you have a brand that the same thing has happened and there are so many similar parallels. And I'd love to hear the early stories of you, MC, because you're not from the US. You live here now. You're from South Africa. I'd love to hear what it was like growing up there, why you moved here, what it was that maybe was enticing about the US and why you got into investing and business and entrepreneurship. No, absolutely. And um, as you mentioned, I grew up in South Africa and I grew up during a very interesting time in the country's history. Uh, I mean, I was in high school when Nelson Mandela was released from prison, essentially. So it was very interesting. And it created an environment there of uncertainty, unpredictability. There was a lot of change obviously happening. There was a lot of disruption. And there was a lot of very interesting things happening. So I almost, being a young man during that time, obviously learned a lot, changed who, who I am and how I view the world. You know, one of the things is I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> because of living through all of that. So when I am faced with adversity and uncertainty and times of disruption and so forth, I embrace it. I love it. It's actually my safe place <laughs> to be in the unknown. So, I mean, it also really contributed to who I am as far as my worldview and my paradigm, where I question everything critically. I don't take anything for face value. I always try to see all the different angles of what's presented by anyone and anything, and especially any authority. So I always try to figure out, all right, what's the other side of the information being presented? Is there different sides to it? And how it can relate, which has assisted me as, a, as an entrepreneur and an investor. But I came to the United States in, in 2001. It's, it's almost kind of crazy. It's a crazy feeling. Let me rephrase that. I've almost lived here as long as I lived in South Africa. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be next year, which is it's kind of weird. But I came here and I traveled quite a bit after university and then landed in the United States. And I have to say, when you come to the U.S. as a foreigner, I was just amazed and blown away about the incredible opportunity that exists in this place. I don't think people that are born here recognize that because they're born here. And, you know, I always joked and said, if you're born here, you literally want a, a lottery ticket. It's an incredible place. The first thing that really struck me was the opportunity for upward mobility. And I've had conversations with many immigrants same thing where they all said the same thing like, man, that's why there's so many rags to riches story, stories in this country, because essentially there's, there's no one holding you back but yourself. And the opportunity to uh, just basically determine your own faith is incredible. On that note, I was just forwarded an article. Somebody forwarded me an article a couple of weeks ago, a Forbes magazine article. And the title of the article was Immigrant Billionaires in the U.S., so, and of course, Elon Musk is right there at the top, but it, that doesn't surprise me at all because it's a different mindset when you come here and you see the opportunity that's available to you here as opposed to maybe the country that you came from. I mean, there's absolutely nothing holding you back to pursue whatever you want. And I played uh, in a sports league up until 2007, sort of a national rugby league, and we traveled quite a bit. And you know, people get into this different hobbies when they do. And I got into reading. Some guys got into video games on the planes because we were traveling quite a bit, either in a bus and a plane. And my university background, so I, start, I have a major in, in history and economics and also have an MBA in finance, but I love the history. I love economics. Uh, I love learning. And my mom actually gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, I just completely like, you know, it just blew my mind. And that changed the trajectory of everything else that I studied and read and started to realize that there's an, a completely different way to play this game of wealth than what has been presented to me my entire life at that stage. Change, so it changed my paradigm. I took action right away, bought my first investment property in 2001. You know, I put some tenants and, and renters into the property. I collected rent. And you know what? At the end of the month, when I paid all of the expenses, there was money left over. And that was my first light bulb moment when I said, cash flow, this is incredible. And went to, how many times can I do this? <laughs> this is quite incredible. And of course, then school starts, right? The hard school of Knox as an investor. And the next big, I would say, 
thing that I would share that that has shaped a lot of how I view things and how I approach things as an investor is I started to learn all about real estate and cash flow, but then also had a friend which came from a very wealthy family that started to share certain things with me, what his family was doing. And again, this is not information available to the general public. And most of the time, it's the complete opposite of what everyone else is doing. So one of the things that I did start to realize is that they started, to, they think of their, their sort of their, their family wealth, which was, they sort of had a, a family office style model and set up. And a family office for folks that, that are not familiar with, it's just a basically a private wealth management firm that manages the money of a very wealthy family. Usually, when you're looking at about $100 million in net worth, they start looking at family office kind of styles and setups. But I started to realize how they view and look at the family wealth and that they're essentially creating this banking system and that they model the behaviors of banks. And I looked at that and I said, this is incredible. Cash flow is great, but what would amplify the cash flow, just put some rocket fuel on, onto what I was doing at that point, was creating my own banking system like these, these families do. You don't have to be a Rockefeller to do what the Rockefellers do. You could do it on a smaller scale and it'll make big movements for you. So that was a really big, uh, another light bulb moment. And then um, I actually started to work for that friend of mine in multifamily. He was in multifamily real estate. A very wealthy family eventually put a lot of capital in multifamily real estate. And I was playing still rugby at that time, which, I mean, trying to hold a job down at that stage when you're traveling all the time, you're out of town all the time, traveling in, in the US and internationally. I started working for him and I started right at the bottom. I always said I started basically doing maintenance in a multifamily property. That's where I started. And ran, I ran construction crews and eventually did leasing, did some property management, eventually managed over a thousand units for him, became part of the acquisitions team that he had. And I remember there was one investor in that area that had a, a nice, a decent sized portfolio of multifamily. And I was trying to get a meeting with this particular investor. And I'll never forget it. After pursuing him for about six months or so, Eventually, that same investor walked out of the head broker's office with my friend and so forth when I came into the office early the one morning, 7.30. They were already done the deal. So I looked at this situation. And I said, there's got to be a lesson here. This is a learning moment. <laughs> yeah. And I started to realize that these folks are cash flow ninjas. They are the players in multifamily on the north side of the city of Chicago. And if somebody was even thinking of either selling or buying real estate, that they would contact them. They would sit down with those folks. And I sat back for a second there and I go, it's tough to compete with cash flow ninjas. So the second question becomes, well, if I can't compete with them, because it's almost going to be impossible because they basically have this market locked up, how do I partner with them? How do I become a partner in the deals that they're doing? So instead of just trying to go and compete with them, now I get to invest with the cash flow ninja, the dominant player in their markets and get access to the best deals. So that was kind of the background as, a, as an investor. And then, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, I started many businesses, failed for most of them. I had a couple that, that worked out really well, but Things really started to change around, I would say, 2015, 2016, when I started my podcast to share some of the things that I was doing and then interview incredible folks. And I chose the brand Cashflow Ninja because cashflow was a central theme in a lot of things that, that I was involved with. And the importance, I mean, surely it was very important that, that cashflow played a central theme in, in the brand that I was going to create. The ninja actually comes from my dad. My dad is a very well-known martial artist that travels the world. And, and before 2020, I mean, he taught in about eight to 10 countries a year. So it's a ninth down, uh, Dan Black Belt, one of the, the highest graded folks in his organization around the world. And one of the things that I learned from my dad, and this is children learn by observation. I just saw my dad pursue excellence in his craft daily. You know, he's 72 right now. Could still beat me up, by the way. <laughs> but but he, he still gets up and he tries to get better every day. And he has a mindset that he's pursuing excellence in his craft of karate. And he'll never get to, I mean, he's always pursuing 
the next step and the next step and getting better every single day. And I looked at that philosophy and I said, that's quite incredible. I want to apply that to business. I want to apply that same philosophy to investing. I just want to pursue excellence in that craft as an entrepreneur and as an investor every single day. And I just want to get better. And I want to continue to learn from folks and increase my skill set in those two areas. But I, I started that in 2016, been absolutely blessed. Started as a podcast. We've been downloaded millions of times across the world in over 180 countries. It's turned into an education company too, where we're rolling out uh, programs and books. And then I also have two other companies, Producers Wealth, which we help folks implement and execute a cash flow management strategy in all 50 states in the US. And then Producers Capital Partners, where we have a lot of fun doing a lot of deals in a lot of different areas and in a lot of different niches. That's awesome. MC, you have such a cool story, such a unique story. And I love your perspective of immigrant founders and immigrants moving to the US and recognizing that it is within their control here to move up. And one of the things that you had said really resonated with me. And I invested in a fund that a friend is running that only invest in companies with immigrant founders under the thesis that number one, we want to give immigrant founders a great opportunity and a leg up. But number two, that there's a work ethic that exists that may not exist with someone that was born in the US, as you referenced, because you take for granted some of the things that you don't even recognize could be the greatest blessing in the world or winning the lottery, as you said. And so just the grit, the toughness, the work ethic of these immigrant founders that we invest in is incredible. And we have just a great track record or the fund, I should say, has such a great track record. The person who put it together is brilliant. And it's just a neat story. So I I appreciate you sharing that. And in fact, at some point today, we should probably talk about another immigrant founder in Elon Musk, because off camera, we were talking about you know his newest deal and buying Twitter and how that was structured. In fact, let's just get into it now. Yeah. Where the strategy he used, he didn't buy it with cash. He didn't put what it ended up being, 46 billion, whatever the number was. He didn't do that in cash. He did that with a collateralized loan. I'd love to hear your perspective, number one, on you know just another South African entrepreneur and businessman. And number two, the strategy of actually acquiring Twitter and how unique that is and that, you know, how, how he's using leverage to his advantage. Yeah. The thing about immigrant entrepreneurs too, is they relish every single opportunity that's given to them and they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. You know, somebody said to me the one time, because he had a similar experience with even hiring in a sales organization immigrants that that came over here. And there was the saying that, and I would say there's a lot of grandparents maybe and parents that have shared this with folks and said, flipping hamburgers back in my day was was an opportunity. (laughs) No one was beneath that. And it's the same kind of mentality that they'll bring. It's just like, we'll do whatever we need to do and start wherever we need to start to make it work over here. The other thing too, is it's, I would say that the first thing is that you start most of them start, uh, relish the opportunity, but there's always that you know immigrant mentality too. Is they will work and do whatever is necessary to make this work. And I would say sometimes, especially in the beginning, I would say fear plays into it a little bit. And then because you're building from there, right? You're not building towards something. You're, you're building from a place. So there's fear still involved there. And then you get to a place where you massively gain confidence because of the results that you're starting to get. And now you're building towards something. And if I look at, have to look at the mindset of Elon Musk, he is building towards something. The fear is out the window. The confidence is definitely there. If you look at his career, you know, even having a massive uh, success at, at PayPal and a great payday there, you know, he just found the next projects and rolled it right in there and said, let's go, <laughs> let's do this again. Uh, where most folks at that stage could have just cashed out and sat somewhere, uh, you know, on a beach somewhere. So I mean, he's definitely building towards something. And he's obviously a, an incredible vision of uh, essentially trying to address huge problems 
and trying to make big moves in markets, you know, electrical cars, you know, is, is a big one, space exploration and so forth. But the strategies that Elon implement and execute from a financial side, and I've been following, obviously, what he's been doing for a while. There was actually a uh, court case that he had to file uh, for discovery, certain financial documents. He was involved in some sort of a lawsuit back in 2019. And that actually was the first hint that I got of the game that he was playing. And essentially what he did back then was he would place his Tesla shares as collateral, and then he would get an asset-based line or asset based loan, ABL, from those shares, and then he would utilize that to fund other projects that he's involved in or invest in, in other areas. It was very, very interesting to see that. So when this uh, deal was announced that he was going to buy Twitter, I was very interesting to see how the media was going to report how this deal is going down because I already had a little bit of an idea of what he would do. And yes, he placed these Tesla shares as collateral again to get a loan to then finance the purchase of Twitter. Now, it does many different things for you there. So the first thing that it does, obviously, is there's no taxable event. So if he had just had to sell his Tesla shares, then it would be a taxable event right there, which obviously is, is the game that you don't want to play in. You want to minimize your taxes as much as possible. But because of that, he was able to then get the loan, get the financing and buy Twitter. So he essentially used one asset to acquire another asset, which is what you see the wealthiest families do uh, and individuals is, is that's the game that they're playing in. One pool of capital is always positioned in a certain manner that it could do many different things for you simultaneously. Most business owners, if you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with business lines of credit and business loans. You know, we had someone in our network, a business owner, he placed the assets of the business as collateral and he bought the real estate from which the business was operating. So he used his business to acquire real estate and now he has both assets. Most real estate investors know of a cash out refi and a HELOC, right? Home equity line of credit. And then also some folks might even be familiar with gold, silver, and art. There's custodians with that will allow you to borrow against your gold, silver, and art up to 50%. Also a great strategy because there's a lot of folks that want to hold gold and silver for very good reasons. And the same reasons I do too, very uncertain times, financial reset times. But there might be an opportunity that comes along. So how do you capitalize on that? Well, you can have that that metal strategy in place and also get a loan against it to then acquire, let's just say, a cash flow asset maybe, maybe another hard asset. And then also in, in crypto, there's been a lot of developments, as you know, there too, with decentralized finance, where the same kind of strategy can be played out, where you can place your Bitcoin or your Ethereum as collateral for a loan to then go and buy a hard asset. And so it's a powerful strategy. And of course, you've shared the life insurance strategy too, which I love. And I've done that over a decade myself. And we've established a family bank in our family too, which is our primary mechanism for financing. But that's a, I mean, the life insurance too, if you have to compare that with the other strategies I just listed too, you can borrow up to more of the value of the cash value in your life insurance. And there's also a solid foundation where the principal in your life insurance policy is guaranteed. There's growth that's guaranteed. You're earning dividends. It's not subject to stock market fluctuations. So there's no margin calls, right? If And there was the sharp pullback in the markets. And even on Tesla, I'm sure Elon is smart enough and have a team of advisors advising him to manage collateral properly and manage margin calls and so forth. Uh, you don't have that with the life insurance. So that's one thing that you can count on that that's pretty solid. You know? And with the other assets that I mentioned, you, know, you have moving pieces. So it's important to under, know and understand that. But I think the big lesson here too for your audience is think about capital positioning. You know, most folks uh, focus just on creating capital, which entrepreneurs and business owners do. And if you're a high paid professional, you focus on that too, whether sales in the legal field, medical field, but capital position is the next step. Where do you position this capital? And then if you position it efficiently and effectively, then it becomes, all right, now how do I deploy it into more cash flow assets, growth assets? And then obviously you have to protect everything through tax strategy through proper asset protection and estate planning. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a special offer that I created for the lifestyle investor community. 
When I look back at my investing journey, there's one specific investment in particular that was the spark to increasing my net worth and allowing me to leave my job to become a lifestyle investor. I'm talking about mobile home parks. Yes, mobile home parks. If you just cringed a little, that's exactly why these provide such a great opportunity because of the negative stigma and stereotype people might have. In reality, this is an incredible investment that you can get into with little or no money down. You can also quickly get a return on your capital. You can immediately cash flow on day one. You can hold it forever as a cash cow. You get accelerated depreciation to reduce or eliminate the taxes that you would owe. And often the seller will finance the deal so you don't need a bank. You can also buy them at the highest cap rate of all real estate, meaning it's the cheapest real estate to buy based on the income that it generates. And it's the lowest default rate of all real estate, meaning it's the safest asset class to own in real estate. I used this asset class to start my journey in real estate investing and grow my net worth to over eight figures all before I turned 40. And out of all the questions that people ask me, how do I get into mobile home parks is still the number one question that I get, which is why I put together this mobile home park masterclass. This is a paid class that I'm offering for a limited time only. For all the details, head over to justindonald.com forward slash MHP and watch the video, which outlines all the details about the class and exactly what you get when you sign up. You'll also hear the incredible success stories from students who have gone through my content and are now making hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive income. If you want to take the same first step that I did that helped me take both my wife and I from working full-time jobs to becoming lifestyle investors... Join me in my mobile home park masterclass and let's get started on your journey to becoming a lifestyle investor. Visit justindonald.com forward slash MHP for all the details. Yeah, you know, you touched on a lot of stuff there that I think overall, the whole package of what you just shared is brilliant. It's top level. I want to dissect it a little bit because the thing that I think most people think is... You've got these entrepreneurs like an Elon Musk and people are like, oh man, that guy's got all the money in the world. He can do whatever he wants. But the reality for a lot of entrepreneurs like that is that they're often really like asset rich, cash poor. So their value, their their net worth is tied up in stock. It's tied up in a company. So this is one way to access some of that capital. And it's a very brilliant way because you're taking on debt, which isn't taxed. So you could sell your stock and then you have a taxable event. So it costs you a lot more to buy the company. So I said you know, before that it was $46 billion. I think the actual purchase price was $44 billion, but I think he borrowed $46.5 billion to get some extra cash out and or maybe that's what's making the payments. You know, it'd be interesting to see like what's really happening behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, this is a brilliant guy who has been very successful in the entrepreneurial space, but then he's using very unique investment strategies to be able to grow his influence, his net worth, and really just put his money to use and, and to work. So now he's got money working in two different places at the same time, which is just like the infinite banking concept. And I love that concept in general. I think that there are some minor flaws to it working the way that Nelson Nash has laid out in his book, The Infinite Banking Concept. But the book is brilliant. The strategy is brilliant. I think with a few little tweaks, that overall strategy can be enhanced and actually perfected. And it doesn't take much to do it. You know, It's just the right type of policy, the right person that knows how to do it. And for people that don't understand this, it's or, or think that they wonder maybe like, should I be doing this? This is what the wealthiest people in the world, the wealthiest families do. I mean, if you haven't read Garrett Gunderson's book, What Would the Rockefellers Do, which has been retitled What Would Billionaires Do, which, you know, I just interviewed him. His, you know, you could check out his show, which was released not too long ago. The whole framework of the Rockefellers is based on dividend paying whole life or, you know, kind of like the banking through life insurance concept where everything inside the trust is taken as a loan that you pay back. And as someone dies, 
later on, hopefully later on in life, it replenishes. And so you're building a bigger nest egg, whereas you've got a lot of other wealthy families like the Carnegie's, like many others that their wealth, their legacy ended financially. Like they don't have the reserves that the Rockefellers and many of these other large family offices have. And so it's, it's interesting to see how can I replicate what the wealthiest, most successful people financially do. And this is just one strategy, one of many, but I would say it's a foundational strategy. Would you agree? Absolutely. And if, you know, the big takeaways there, if you look at Elon as an entrepreneur too, where did Elon invest his money in his own business? You know, so if you're an, an entrepreneur or a business owner, where can you position your capital to invest in your own business? You'll notice that Elon didn't invest in Apple stock or in a diversified you know, portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. It's Tesla shares, his own company, his own business. And so that's a big takeaway. And the, the other thing is with the efficiency and the effectiveness that he, that he implements and executes that strategy. I just wanted to just hit on one point that you brought up, which this is so, so important. If he had sold those shares to buy that, I mean, you, you would have to figure out the tax bill, how much more this would have cost them. And again, what did he do with the proceeds? Well, he acquired another asset, another company that he now will own. And he's taking it private, by the way, too. Great diversification strategy. Great, great diversification. And so he was probably looking at well, I can own a platform, which is great for messaging and continue to troll everyone as long as I want to. By the way, one of the best news jackers of all time. It's a skill set. You have to hand it to someone that can grab attention in an attention economy that has been flooded with now two years with, you know, pandemic and now World <laughs> War Three, and he, everybody's talking about him. That's incredible. But to your point, back to the Rockefellers, if you just do the math, right? And this is all about the philosophy of how the, the ultra wealthy think. They plant trees that they will never sit to enjoy or underneath that tree and enjoy it. They think multi-generational, two, three, four generations from now. And when you think about compound interest and, and compounding anything, efforts, actions, <laughs> mindsets, money, that compounding effect you know, if you just had three generations, one of my, my team members just said, that's quick math the other day. It's like if you have three generations, and let's just say they have children at age 30, each, uh, every single one of them, you're looking at like in over three generations of almost 140 years of compounding interest, you know, in a family bank. So that's why these, these strategies are, are so powerful. And as part of a overall holistic strategy, bringing everything together, what you do. I mean, it's so important. We always focus sometimes just in, in, on one particular, let's just say asset class or niche, but you bring all these things together and look at what they're doing. It's pretty powerful stuff. No kidding. And we're in this crazy time, this season that is so fascinating because you have so many different things converging all at once. And I'm so curious to know what you think is going to happen with the economy. Are we going to stay strong? I just talked to some experts that are like, hey, we're, we're in the strongest place we've ever been as a nation. I've talked to other experts that say by the end of the year, we're going to be in a full-blown recession. It's so crazy how incredibly smart people can be on either side of the aisle at either extreme. And you know, I think that we have to prepare for both. I mean, part of what you and I both do is we have this mindset, this philosophy, this strategy of multiple streams of income, well diversified, just in case something goes wrong, you are hedging against your investments not performing, that you've got something at least that performs and creates cash flow if the economy is strong or if the economy tanks. And I'd love to get your thoughts, number one, on what you think might happen. And number two, how you're protecting against whatever it is that you think could come? That's a great question. The crystal ball game is the toughest game to play in. <laughs> Very tough business. So when that being said, if you look at it, there's essentially two outcomes, which you've summarized, but there's a very strong case that the inflation continues and it's pretty bad. I think most people 
that anyone that's been to the store lately have seen what's the effects of inflation, this increasing currency supply, which has been done all over the world. You pick your country and your central bank. It's all over the place. And to throw some just some fuel on the fire, most of the time you have the same amount of goods or maybe the goods and services increase in economy. This time, there's actually fewer goods and services circulating in the economy with more currency units chasing it. So we've really seen the effects. I mean, the numbers that have been thrown out is 8 to 9%. And then you look at John Williams' shadow stats, it's more like 16 to 17. And we saw Congress gave their staffers and lawyers and so forth in D.C. a 21% pay increase. So you're figuring it's probably closer to 20% than to the 8 or to the, the 9%. So with regards to inflation, to keep this economy going, which is essentially now completely debt-driven after we've basically shut it off in 2020, the first position that I would take is you're probably going to continue to see inflation and it's going to get much worse. So you're going to continue to see asset inflation, which is the increase of the values of all asset classes, which we've seen significantly. I mean, real estate that we love has been a huge benefactor. Uh, Obviously, the stock market, a lot of capital has flown there because a lot of money has been borrowed to buy back shares too, which is a completely different conversation. And then we've also seen cryptocurrencies benefit from that with a huge spike since 2020. So that would be my first way of looking at it. But we are living during incredible times. I mean, I'm pretty excited for the times that we live in. Like I said, uncertainty and chaos and disruptions is my happy place. I would not be surprised if there's a wild card event, which could come in many shapes and sizes. For example, one of the markets that is pretty interesting to watch is the bond market, the biggest market on the planet. It just dwarfs all the other markets. So the bond market pops, that bubble goes, everything else goes with it. You know, the stock market, real estate market, essentially everything in this debt money-based system, which we have. So how do you protect for it? You look at what the billionaires are doing again, they are always looking and thinking what they don't know. Like, what's my blind spot? What am I not aware of? I need to position myself for anything and everything at this point. So I've taken the approach of just essentially looking at four buckets, keeping things very, very simple. I've learned that when things get chaotic outside in the environment, you want to keep things inside of your businesses and your own wealth strategy very simple so that it doesn't get confusing. But essentially, cash is one bucket. And where would we keep cash? There's a counterparty risk to where you're keeping your cash. And cash itself is is a counterparty risk because it's fiat currency. But essentially, where do you keep it? So you know, I wouldn't sleep well at night if I have large sums of money in banks right now. So just what I do is I love the the insurance vehicle for my cash because these companies have been around since the mid-1800s. So from a counterparty risk management perspective, the probability is probably very high that they're going to behave how they've behaved since the mid-1800s. They've seen civil wars in the US, two world wars. They've seen all these economic booms and bust cycles and the Great Depression. So that's the one part of it. The second part of it, which is also still very defensive, is metals. You know, having some metals exposures and currency reset and especially global financial resets, which uh, I believe we're in right now, it's good to have things that have been money for centuries and that have hold their value for centuries. So metals play a big part in the portfolio. And then the third bucket is the cash flow, the, just the cash flow portfolio positioning. And of course, uh, you and I are very much aligned of diversifying income streams within the cash flow portfolio so important right now. I think, unfortunately, people have found out the hard way that if one income stream gets taken away, and for most people that were dependent on one, whether it's employment or just an asset clause, and that goes away, now you don't have any income. So you want to be diversified there in certain different uh, income streams. And then the fourth part is the growth bucket, where I like uh, some cryptocurrencies in that growth bucket and some other plays, Bitcoin obviously being one of them. So if there is a, a inflationary environment, you still have cash that can be used to buy other things. Metals will hold steady. Your cash flow portfolio will benefit in your growth bucket. If there's a deflationary event, then obviously your metals will go down a little bit. Your growth bucket will get clobbered a little bit, especially if it's crypto, But and your cash flow portfolio will just keep on trucking 
but you'll have cash to buy assets at a discount. So I'm always thinking of what is the blind spot? Where could there be a danger? But that's kind of my best thinking and insights at this point, just to try and put something together that's ready for anything and everything that's going to be thrown at us. Well, that's fantastic that you have it broken down so simplified into these four buckets. But I have to imagine some things led up to this. I know that there was a time in your life where you didn't have all the answers and you basically, life was beating you up. And I'd love to have you share that because I feel like that's a critical part of your journey to the insight and expertise and knowledge that you have today. And also part of what helped you write your book, which I want to talk about thereafter. Yeah. So the biggest lesson that I learned and cash is in there. And most folks would say MC, but cash is trash. It's losing its value. You know, we've all heard all the cliches and I've probably said a lot of that myself too on my podcast. But in the end, cash is, a, is something that's going to stabilize everything. So one of the toughest lessons that I learned is starting out as a real estate investor, I was told all those things, you know, and that's one when I was still doing the single family game. And I would, as soon as I uh, wrap up a one property, I would try and get another property because cash is trash, right? It's losing its value. Well, what happens if you're trying to scale? All of a sudden, you have a tenant that doesn't pay rent. Shocker, that happens in real estate. You have a tenant that beats up your property. And especially when you're getting started, I felt like there was a period in my journey where I would take like two steps forward and like three or four steps back because I didn't have any cash on hand. And then all of a sudden now it's credit cards again or hard money or something like that until I discovered, you know, obviously the life insurance strategy, which changed things around big time for me where I said, all right, I got to do something here. I need a financing vehicle with some reserves that if something happens. And since I put that cash in my overall strategy, that's where I felt like I didn't take two steps forward and like three or four steps back anymore. But we now just started taking steps forward. You know, and another, I'll share another interesting tidbit. Cash actually helped me save some crypto. And folks are like, how is that possible? How does cash save you cryptocurrencies or your Bitcoin? So I had a collateralized loan on Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden there was a sharp, a sharp market pullback. Now, if I didn't have that reserve bucket and that cash set up in a separate bucket, now what would have happened to my coins? I would have got margin calls. I wouldn't have been able to, to handle those margin calls. And they would have had to sell off my collateral, which would have resulted in me losing my coins at that point. But because I had the cash, I could buy more coins, fix my loan and my collateral, and it was all good again until I paid off the loan. So you need that volatility buffer in there when things happen in your overall strategy. So that's like the, I would say the biggest lesson because we hear all the time, cash is trash, cash is trash. We're learning, it's losing value. Yes, it is. It is, but you still need some liquidity in case of a worst case scenario. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I have such a love-hate relationship with cash. I love it for all the things that it can provide. And I hate it for the fact that when I sit on it, I feel like my money is just evaporating in thin air. And so what I've done is I've adopted this this mindset that is a little different. I don't want to be stuck in this scarce mindset around money. And so for me, what I've been able to kind of take solace in is the fact that I do need to have a portion of my portfolio in cash. That cash needs to be outside the bank. Some can be inside of it. But most needs to be outside of it. And by the way, I don't think there ever needs to be a time where there's more than $250,000 in any single bank because if something happens, it is not insured, it is not protected. And there is a case for having multiple banks. So for me, I've got 30, somewhere between 30 and 35 banks. I think I have 34 different banks that I use. And that to me is a good strategy as a just in case, especially with some local banks. But What most people don't realize is these bank runs that happen when people try to take all their cash out like that. That's real. This happens across the globe. And just because it hasn't happened to you yet or in your country doesn't mean that it won't happen in, you know, a tough economic crisis. And keep in mind, most people don't even realize the solvency ratio of most of the banks, including U.S. banks. U.S. banks are the biggest culprit of this. It's astronomically low. Like it, it is not 
These are not safe havens like most people think. I did an episode with James Hickman, aka Simon Black from Sovereign Man, where we got all into this. But I spent a lot of time researching banks and really the best place to keep money. So I think it makes sense to keep cash outside. But where I take solace is the fact that maybe I lose money today when I don't know where to purpose it. So maybe I'm losing 20% every single year. But the moment I find an asset sold at a discount, I make much more than the 20% that I lose every year. So as long as the greater strategy is to buy assets, to buy discounted assets, I think people really win. So that's kind of the way I look at cash. I think it's necessary. I think it's needed. It's not going away for a period of time. But I do think it's very smart to have that growth bucket, as you said, where you have others. Well, first of all, you've got your your metals, you got your gold, your silver, you got your platinum, whatever else you want to include in that bucket. But then also you have Bitcoin, you have other cryptocurrencies, you have Ethereum. So I think that's great. I'd love for you to share a little bit on your book. Tell us why we should get your book. And by the way, I know your book is incredible because your podcast is incredible. And I've just loved the guests you've had. I love your insight. I mean, this is how I learned about you. And from a a mutual friend, uh, Tamar Hermes actually connected us, which is cool. But tell me and tell us about your awesome book. Absolutely. And just wanted to share again, your banking take is 100% correct. For folks that haven't researched this, Go and do your own research right now of what has happened in the past 12 months in Lebanon, Sri Lanka, Peru. There's a reason it's not in the news. So a lot of bank runs have already started around the globe. It just isn't in your country yet in the United States. And there was a scare in Canada. A lot of people don't even know that there was a bank run in Canada that just happened and it all worked itself out. But that doesn't mean it's always going to work itself out. Yeah, exactly. And the book is called The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches, Creating Wealth and the Best Alternative Cash Flow Investments. And essentially, you know, after interviewing over 800 of the best minds in business and investing over the past six years, the number one question I get is, MC, what are some of the best opportunities that have been shared on your show? So I put it together in a book. And I also, you know, I'm very passionate about sharing how important it is to diversify income streams right now, as we've uh, spoken about earlier, especially in an economy, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, no one. And there's a lot of folks that there's a time and a place to really focus and go in on a particular asset class. And then there's a time and a place to maybe just diversify a little bit out so that everything isn't determined on just one particular niche or asset class. So in the book, I share 21 and I throw in five bonus ones there. I always want to over-deliver and you know, 21 markets better than 26, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just uh, share many different niches, which has been, just been very interesting. My show is very, very wide. So business, businesses, commodities, real estate, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, and then also paper assets. So there's a whole bunch of different assets and especially cash flow niches that folks might not even be aware of. So my goal was to share this with folks, to share ideas of just the endless opportunities that exist in this alternate space, which is obviously the alternative asset clauses that we love. Well, I love alts. And when I say alts, I'm not talking specifically about crypto alts. I'm talking about overall private equity, real estate, just alternative investments, debt, you name it. And it's such a fascinating space where like deep down, I am optimistic that things are going to work out. Even if we have a a tough season, a tough spell, that it's going to get better on the other side. I pray that we have a longer, strong, good season than not. But I want to prepare as if it's not. So, man, I hope we can get to 2030 without some sort of a financial crisis. I think the odds are not good. No one has a crystal ball. Maybe it's five years more that we get. Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's something at the end of the year. I just think we should plan is we should plan for the recession that is due to come. You just can't print money this way without that happening. Like it's it's just a matter of time. But if you continue to print money, then you can delay that timeline. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So we should prepare for the inevitable and hopefully. We just get a bunch more years of things booming here in the US and globally. So 
MC, this has been such an awesome time getting to know you. You're such a wealth of knowledge. I would love for you to share with our audience here how people can learn more about you and reach you. Cashflowninja.com. So cashflowninja.com is where folks can learn everything that I'm up to. And for your listeners, if they're interested in the book, it's available at cashflowninja.com or on amazon.com. And when they grab a copy of the book, please screenshot a proof of your purchase and send it to my team at info at cashflowninja.com. And we'll give you access to a digital version of the book. If you want to read it on Kindle, an audio version of the book, if you want to listen to it, like how most people do books these days, including myself, a curated library of the, the Cashflow Ninjas talking about the niches and more bonus goodies. Well, MC, thanks so much. We'll get all this in the show notes. And I just want to wrap up today's interview and time together the way I do every week. And that's this. What's the one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom in living a life that's truly on your terms, one that you truly desire? Not a life by default, but a life by design. Thanks, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.